Father, we come to the point in our service now where we look to Your Word. God, we don't look to a foolish preacher. We look to Your Word. Spirit, would You speak this morning in spite of me, in spite of my failures, in spite of my flaws. Spirit, would You rule and reign in this place, in these moments, and speak from Your Holy Word that You have preserved that you curated, that you etched together, that you imprint on our hearts and in our very souls. Lord, would you add the richest blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word, that we, your children, might be motivated, might be challenged, might be encouraged. Lord, that we also might be convicted of where we have fallen short. God, that the hopeless would receive hope from your word this morning. We ask all these things, Lord, as we, your servants, humbly sit and listen. Would you speak to us? In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. This morning, we will be in the book of Jeremiah. We'll be in chapter 29. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah Chapter 29, we'll be reading verses 1 through 14. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. As you're finding your place in sacred scripture, um, spend a lot of time in, in prayer and contemplation this week over what new sermon series we would go into. And the Lord still just hasn't opened that door yet. And so we're still just going off of the week to week what God is is giving us and, and where we're going to be. And I could not get away from one of my favorite verses, one of my life verses, Jeremiah 29, 13. And that is what Vacation Bible School is about. They're tying that into this dig in theme. And I, I don't know about y'all, but when all the dig in stuff happens and, and all that's going on, I, there's a couple of songs that get stuck in my head. Y'all remember the old song? I can dig it, he can dig it, she can dig it, they can dig it, we can dig it, he can dig it. Can you dig it? Nobody? Like, for serious? Y'all don't know that song? That's like a legit Motown hit. Come on! Alright, how, how about this one? Do y'all, y'all, y'all know Randy Travis? I'm digging up bones. I'm digging up bones. Y'all know that one? See, okay, these songs have been running through my head all week long as we get ready for VBS. I tried to get Taylor to come and start us off every night of VBS doing some Randy Travis, but he, he felt like that might not be the most appropriate thing. But the theme this week is digging, digging in, discovering, unearthing the truth about Jesus. And the focal point is Jeremiah 29, 13. So this morning, we're going to spend time in Jeremiah chapter 29. These are very popular verses in this chapter, often misquoted, often taken out of context, often misapplied. So I want us to spend some time looking at what these verses really do mean and what they really don't mean. So if you've found your place in sacred scripture, whether you're on a phone, a tablet or or a paginated text, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? We'll be in Jeremiah chapter 29, reading verses 1 through 14. I'll read for us when I've completed. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile and to the priests, the prophets, And all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
This was after Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you have ever in your Bible reading plan come to the book of Jeremiah or maybe in just a a time of study, you open your Bible and go to the book of Jeremiah. You you feel how schizophrenic the book seems at first blush. You see, Baruch and Jeremiah lived an extremely challenging and difficult life. They were in danger and out of danger, exiled and hunted down all throughout their days. And so they're jotting these things down. And even the arrangement of the book is seems haphazard. And if you're not extremely familiar with Israel and Judah's history, you can easily get lost in Jeremiah. It's one of those things like when we were in Exodus, we spent several chapters on the events of a couple days. And then in one chapter, we moved 40 years down the road. You have to stop, look around and go, okay, where are we? When are we? What is going on? And so when we come to chapter 29, the several chapters leading up to that, Jeremiah is speaking against several types of false belief. So Jeremiah is prophesying to those in Judah, because at this point in history, when Jeremiah is making these prophecies, Israel as a nation no longer exists. 
Keep in mind that after King Solomon, his son, Rehoboam, ruins things. Rehoboam has an opportunity to keep the nation together because Solomon was really hard on the southern on the northern tribes. He's a king in Judah and he's very difficult, puts a heavy burden on the northern tribes of Israel. And so when Rehoboam becomes king, Rehoboam has an opportunity to lighten that burden and keep the country together. But instead of doing that, he listens to all of the young men. The old men tell him, Rehoboam, your, your, your father was a little rough with these folks. Be easy with them. And then the young people are like, no, nah, man, you can't act that way. You do that, you're giving them a break. They're going to see you as weak. So Rehoboam listens to the young men foolishly, and the nation divides. Rebellion rises up, and the nation splits in half. It is the civil war that, that we experienced for different reasons, and there was no reconciliation. The northern tribes attempted to secede from the union, and they were successful. And so from that point onward, Israel is a northern nation. Judah is a nation that borders them to the south. In around the year 722, the Assyrians come in and wipe Israel out. It no longer exists. But Judah in the south continues to per persevere as a nation until about 586. And around 586... The Babylonians, you got to remember we're counting down, right? Because it's B.C. time, so we're counting down. Around 586, the Babylonians come in and they level Jerusalem. They finish off the country of Judah. It exists as a province, but it is no longer a sovereign nation. And they take all the best that Judah has to offer back with them to Babylon. So we're talking about a king that you may be familiar with, King Nebuchadnezzar. And so... Jeremiah is prophesying against these false beliefs as all this turmoil is going on in the northern nation of Israel and in the southern nation of Judah. A lot of people are out there prophesying that God still approves of Judah because the temple has not been burned down. They're prophesying that God is still with us because his temple is still there in Jerusalem. Jeremiah in chapter 26 says that is a lie. God has not said that. That's not what that means in chapter 27, he says, uh, pr prophesies against the false belief that Babylon will not conquer Judah in chapter 27. He says they're coming. Babylon will conquer Judah and you better be ready for it. But see, all the other false prophets, all they ever give is good news. Right. So when the king looks at them, when Zedekiah looks to them, when Jeconiah looks at them, hey, how are we going to be against Babylon? They're all like, ah, no worries. The temple's here. God's still with us. They're not going to conquer us. Everything's going to be just fine. But nobody likes to listen to Jeremiah because Jeremiah has a habit of telling the truth, of hearing what God says and repeating verbatim what God says, no matter how favorable or unfavorable that message may be. Jeremiah speaks to them and says, no, 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 Babylon will conquer Judah. He says Babylon's power will not cease anytime soon. The same prophets who say Babylon's not going to take over Judah, they say Babylon is going to come to an end as a nation in just a few years. And Jeremiah says, I don't know what God you're talking to, but it's not the one true living God because he hadn't said that. So for chapters 26, 27, 28, he says all of these things. The temple is proof of nothing. Babylon is coming. They will take us over. He says, look, their empire's not ending anytime soon. 
And then we fast forward in time when we hit chapter 29. We've moved forward, and in chapter 29, he's now writing a letter to those who are already in exile. Those like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's writing a letter to the officials in Babylon who have already been taken captive, giving them instruction and correcting the false prophecy that has existed in their day. The people who have been the most prominent voices have been the liars. Man, can you not find a lot of relatability in this context? The people with the loudest voices are the ones doing all the lying. You know who has the loudest voices in our society today? The loudest voices in our society are the ones that are lying to us on a constant, continuous basis. The world is ending. It's ending right now, and you need to stay tuned to see just how it's ending. All those who are commenting on the commentary of the other news commentator, folks, Unplug from CNN, unplug from Fox News, unplug from MSNBC, unplug from the 24 hours news networks, unplug from the mainstream media that's trying to scare you into thinking God is no longer on the throne because it is a lie. And folks, this is something that God knew would happen. We're talking about Jeremiah, but look with me back in Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, God tells them through Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 13, they're waiting to cross the Jordan River. And just before they cross the Jordan River, after that generation that needed to die, after the wandering in the wilderness, the new generation has arisen and Moses is giving them a speech before they cross into the promised land. And this is part of what Moses says to the new generation. Chapter 13, verse 1, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God will allow false messages in our society, in the mainstream media, in social media, because it is part of him looking to us to see, are we going to listen to the truth or are we going to buy into the lie? Boy, that. That algorithm they've got figured out for Facebook, for Twitter, for Snapchat, for TikTok, for whatever other social media platform they create. There is an algorithm that feeds you more of what you want to hear. There's an algorithm that feeds me more of what I want to hear. But what I want to hear and what the truth is may be very different things. And in Deuteronomy chapter 13, Moses says there's going to come a day when people who claim to be prophets will arise among you. People who claim that they've seen a dream or had a vision will arise among you. But if their dream and their vision doesn't come true, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, if they're saying let's go after other gods, they're lying to you. Cast them out. And the Lord is allowing them to speak so that he can see, he can put to the test, even though he's omniscient, even though he knows, he can put to the test Will you trust in the unchanging word of God or will we follow after the messages that are being peppered at us nonstop? And so in the midst of all of the misinformation that is going on, remember 
In Jeremiah's time, it was so similar to us. It didn't matter if the prophet was right. It was who was first. Doesn't that sound like a lot of journalism today? It doesn't matter if it's true or if it's right. It's who can report it first. It doesn't matter which prophet is true or right, but which prophet has the loudest voice and says it first. Well, Jeremiah says, hang on, let me let me write this down. This is so important. Let me write a letter to you so that you understand what God is doing and what God is not doing. So in chapter 29, after the exile is already taking place, he sends word to the exiles. This is how to live. This is what God is up to. So those first several verses there really are just giving us the pedigree of when this letter happened. Because remember, in verses in chapters 26, 27, 28, we're in a different time period. We're at a different point of prophecy. So when you get to 29, you need to understand, here's who's in charge. Here's what's happening. This is when the letter was written. Now, verse 4, we get into the letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. You know, for the first time in my life, I planted a garden and it grew stuff. It's just amazing, right? You like put stuff in the ground and the Lord just cultivates it and grows it. And then my wife watched a video from Brenda Gant and learned how to cut up squash into cubes and fry it. And I've been eating fried squash like crazy, y'all, because this is where we're living. We're, we've put down roots. We, we planted a garden because we plan to be here when the produce grows. I want to have some fried squash. So a few months ago, we planted some squash and we were going to be here when the squash grew and was ready for harvest. He's saying, even though you are in exile in Babylon, shift your perspective. It's not about being in Judah. It's not about being in Israel. It's not about being in the temple. It's not about being in Jerusalem. It's about being faithful to the Lord wherever he has placed you because he's allowed this exile to happen. Folks, we live today as exiles. We're exiled from the Garden of Eden. You may not remember because you weren't there. I don't remember because I wasn't there because honestly it was several thousand years ago. If you were there, please see me after the sermon because I have a lot of questions for you. Folks, there was a flaming sword put at the entrance of the garden. There was a guard that was put there to keep us out of that paradise, of that union with the Lord. We are exiled from that direct contact to his presence. So we live in this sin cursed world, cursed by our own sin, cursed by our own choices, cursed by our own behavior, by our own patterns of life. We live as exiles in this world that we have created for ourselves. God made us a perfect world and we perverted it and we ruined it and we continue to pervert it and ruin it. And we live day in and day out as exiles. And what happens is the first voice and the loudest voice wants us to think that the here and the now, that this world and this country is all that there is. Wants us to forget that there are billions of Christians outside of the United States of America. Wants us to forget that we are united under the banner of Christ first and foremost. And we are exiled and secondary citizens of this world. Secondary citizens of this country. 
Our primary citizenship is in heaven. And we're exiled from that heaven, from that communion with God, from that face to face walking in the garden with the Lord. We live as exiles. So how do we live as exiles? This letter was written specifically for those who were in exile in Babylon, but it is also written through thousands of years to all those trying to live as a follower of Christ, as an exile in this world. Both applications are true. What this letter says to those living in Babylon is true for you and for I. Let us build houses and live in them. Let us plant gardens and eat their produce. Let's take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for our sons, give our daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Let us multiply and be fruitful. The same command to Noah when he steps off of the ark, multiply and be fruitful, fulfill, fill the earth and subdue it. Don't decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. That word welfare in Greek is shalom. You may know the word shalom. It's a Hebrew word. And they use it as like a, hey, what's up? Howdy, y'all. Shalom, y'all. That's, that's a common greeting in Hebrew. But it means peace. They're speaking instead of, instead of, hey, Ted, how you doing? Peace be with you, Ted. Peace to you, my friend. That's, that's how Israeli culture works. That's how Israelite culture works. They speak peace. Seek the peace of the city where I have sent you into exile. You know, we live lives as sent missionaries. God has us where we are on purpose and for a purpose. And we are to live to seek the peace of the city where we live. Not to get caught up in the fray. Not to be drugged down into the mud with everybody else who's panicking. Because the oil pipeline got hacked and then the beef processing plants got hacked and ransomware is everywhere. And we can't build new, pri- uh, new pipelines because of all this legal red tape. And, and what are we going to do? There's, there's no food. There's no gas. Gas prices are astronomical. The person that I wanted in the White House isn't there. The person that I liked in the White House is gone. My, my preferences, my choices aren't here or there or yonder. I don't like the governor. I don't like the Senate. I don't like the legislature. They just said we could do yoga in different schools in Alabama. What are we going to do? Our job is to step above the fray and speak peace. The winds and the waves were bashing against the boat. And Jesus is asleep. The disciples are absolutely panic-stricken. They're caught in the mud and the muck and the fray. And they go to Jesus and Jesus is like, oh, yeah, that seems pretty bad. Hey, peace, be still. Hey, hey, settle down, waves. Settle down, wind. Folks, Part of the way we live as exiles is when everybody else is running around with a chicken with their head, like a chicken with their head cut off. When everybody else is in a panic, we have the peace that they're looking for. And we seek for peace for our city. And the only true peace that can be found is the peace of Christ. It's not peace in an absence of warfare. It's a peace that is a wholeness, that is a wellness. It's not just the lack of military conflict. It is a settlement, a contentment to your soul. Greg, how are you so calm, my friend? How are you so content knowing what all is going on in the world, knowing how everything is so crazy? How can you remain so steadfast? It's it's easy, my friend. I've got the one true source of peace in this world. 
I'm only transient in this place. I'm living here as an exile. But see, that's, it's not possible to have that response when we're caught up in the fray. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You'll always love one and hate the other. It's just not possible to serve two masters. And that's what Jeremiah 29, 13 is talking about. Slide down with me. Jeremiah 29, 13. You'll seek me. It's going to be 70 years. You'll seek me and you're going to find me. But you're only going to find me when you seek with your whole heart. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 13? He allows the false prophets to test to see if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, or if you're doing it half-heartedly. Man, we are so quick to call people out when they're doing stuff half-heartedly, right? Like even if it's like a church league softball team, right? Eddie, man, I know you're going halfway out there. What's going on, man? Why, why aren't you swinging at the ball? I saw you run to first base. You call that running? Come on, man. This is church softball. It matters. It could be a racquetball tournament. You could be playing badminton. We're going to call somebody out when they're going halfway. If you're working with somebody on a project at work and you're carrying all the weight and they're going halfway, we're going to tell them quick. Hey, my back's hurting from carrying the team here, buddy. Pick up the pace. I know you ain't giving it your all. Yeah, but what's that look like when we transfer that over to church? God says, you're going to find him. He's not hiding from us. He says, you're going to seek me. He's talking to these exiles, but he's also talking to us. There'll come a day when you will seek the Lord and you'll find him. But only if you seek him with everything that you've got. If you're wondering why your spiritual walk is so drained and you don't feel that peace, you don't feel that contentment. You look around and you see other people with joy that are walking on cloud nine in the midst of terrible tragedy. And you wonder, how can I be so miserable and depleted? You think, what's wrong with my church? What's wrong with the preacher? What's wrong with my Sunday school teacher? What's wrong with all this other stuff? And you never stop. I never stop to go. Am I only going halfway? Am am I giving this a half-hearted effort? Am I seeking God out with all that I am? Or am I just going through the motions of making it look like I love the Lord? Or do I love the Lord? Am I seeking Him with my whole heart? Or have I held some portions of my heart back? Lord, I love You and I want to seek You. And I want to seek hard after You. But I just can't really let go of this sin just yet. You just don't understand. It's, it's like my safety blanket. Lord, I, I really, I want to follow you, but I just, I just can't let go. It's just, the world is so crazy. I don't know what I'm going to do. But, but God promised. It's, it's not a promise just to Jerusalem. It's a promise to you. It's a promise to me. He's there. He's not hiding. Look at what he says in the book of James. In James chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. You adulterous people, James writes. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You can't have two masters. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't chase God half-heartedly. If you're a friend of the world, then you will be an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He made to dwell in us? God is jealous for all of us. Not just a part. He loves everything about you and wants all of you. 
He's the only person in all of existence that knows everything about you. Every ugly thought, every dirty deed, everything nasty and underhanded, all the wickedness, all the everything, all the good, all the bad, all the ugly and everything in between. And is still jealous for all of your heart. The only one that way. Still jealously yearns over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Praise God. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded. Oh, am I so double minded? I'm so quick to let my mind and my heart be divided in two. Loving this world and becoming an enemy of the Lord instead of seeking Him. But it says if I just draw near to Him, He'll be there. Folks, one of, the, one of my favorite games that we play in my household is hide and go seek. Okay? And listen, hide and go seek gets intense in my house. Things might get broken. Some people might get hurt along the way. All right, we're going to hide and there's no nook or cranny that is left that can be hidden in that we have not already explored. All right, we have dug in and we have unearthed every hiding spot in our house, especially in February when we were on quarantine. Hide and seek was how we lived. Okay, hide and seek numerous times a day. But as we were training Lily up, that's that's my daughter. She's only two. As we were training her up in the ways of hide and go seek, she would initiate hide and go seek, hide and go seek, hide and go seek. Okay. All right. Let's play, baby girl. Let's do it. So she said, she go one, two, 30, 79. Right now, I come. And she watched everywhere that you went. And I just got to be honest with you. In the beginning, all right, Jessica and I we weren't trying real hard to hide from her. Okay. We're trying to teach her how to play the game. Like when we hid from her, it was like, I hope she don't find me behind this pole. I'm hid real good. We weren't trying to hide from our daughter. Now, the, the story's different with, with these two. With these two right here, you best be on your A game. They're going to find you. All right? And we have to play where you run to base. And, and, and that's my only salvation sometimes is that I can hide just long enough to get to base. But even with them, they come seeking for us. They're always going to find us. We don't leave the house. We don't hop in the car and drive away. <laughs> They'll never find us now. Come back three days later. Well, how'd the game go, guys? <laughs> That's not what God's doing either. He's our Father. He, he doesn't hide from us. We're the ones that go to Him and say, let's play how to go seek God. You go hide somewhere. I'll come look for you. And He's like, well, I mean, you know, I, I'm just fine being real close in this relationship with you. But if you want me to go hide, okay. And he goes and he just hides behind this little pole. I wonder if Nathan will find me. And then here I am half-heartedly looking for God. Where did he go? He's abandoned me. I'll never find him. I don't know. Oh, woe is me. Oh, I have no hope. The world's overtaking me. What am I going to do? If, if, if I would just look for him. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Seek me and you'll find me. When you seek me with your whole heart. Folks, how many of us are going through our spiritual walks half-heartedly? How many of us treat our spiritual disciplines? Read the Bible and pray. 
How many of us do those things half-heartedly and then wonder why we feel dry spiritually? How many of us treat church half-heartedly? When we make our schedules, what's the first thing that we cut every time? Church. I told them down at the church that I'd help out this coming weekend. And then somebody calls you and says, ah, man, we really need you. Pete, we need your help this weekend. And what's the first thing that I'll do? What's the first thing that any of us do? Let me see if I can get somebody to cover for me at church. Oh, man, that sounds so cool. Let me see if I can get somebody to cover for me at church. Ah, I accidentally double booked myself. How many times do we double book ourselves and the church gets the best of us and whoever else was booked takes the fall? How many times in our schedule daily do we get up late and instead of being late where we're going to go and continuing to spend time in God's word faithfully spending time in prayer? How many of us immediately cut that and we got to get where we're going? Whatever meeting we have is more important than the meeting we had with God that morning. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of that. Where are our priorities? And we, we want to say, no, I'm seeking God with everything that I got. I, I mean, I, I hear you. But you've got to examine your own life and find out if that's actually true. How often are you praying? I mean, I mean, really praying. Not God, our father, God, our father, we thank you. We thank you for many blessings, for many blessings. Amen. Amen. Hey, you know what? I prayed today. Woo, Lord, that was good. I felt your spirit. How many of us decide we're going to read the Bible and we go, okay, the messenger reached back to them, not knowing what to do. Oh, man, this is Second Kings. I don't know what's going on. Some dude named Jehu. Whoo, man, Jehu must have done some cool stuff. Wow. Or maybe we read it. But have you ever read like three or four pages and you, you don't have a clue what you just read? And so instead of going back and rereading it so that we know, we're just doing it half-heartedly. And we go, well, I'll catch some pages another time. I'll catch that my next time through. You'll seek me and you will find me. Guaranteed. You just got to seek me with your whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 11, I got plans for you. I got plans for you, says the Lord. Plans for your peace. You know, we often translate that word shalom in that instance to prosperity for some reason. Prosperity gospels kind of hijack this verse. God says, I got plans for you and their plans to prosper you, to make you wealthy, healthy and wise. No, not necessarily. Does this verse apply to us? Yeah, it, it does. But what God means by prosperity and what we mean by prosperity may not always be the same thing. When God says in Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. He's working everything for your good if you love him. But what he defines as good and what we define as good might not be the same thing. How how do I know if that peace and that good that God is planning for me, how do I know if that's for me? How do I know if that was just for Israel or if that was if that's for me, too? Let's go back to verse 13. Are you seeking the Lord? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you making disciples? If you can call yourself a Christian, if you can answer yes, that I'm striving to do those three things, that passage is for you. God's got a plan. 
Trust His plan. Don't trust two masters. It's hard to hear Jeremiah's words because they're not easy. They're not easy on the ears. They're not easy on the life. But if we want to be found faithful, if we want to really experience God, if we want to feel the benefits of Jeremiah 29, 11, we're called to live out the prophecy of Jeremiah 29, 13. The verses are tied together. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart, says the Lord. So it's just that simple this morning. How are you seeking after the Lord? Are you seeking after the Lord half-heartedly? I can't answer that question for you. I know I can answer it for me. And I know if I'm fair, and if I strive to be unbiased in my evaluation of myself, there's a lot of times in my life where I'm just going through the motions. I'm not seeking God out. And I get in my office and I think, Lord, would you speak to me? Would you say something? And it feels dry. And I'm waiting on God to move or speak or do something amazing in my life or in our church's life. And I want to look at what's all the problems? Where are the problems? When all the while the problem's been me. Because I haven't been seeking Him with my whole heart. Maybe you can share in this same sentiment. Maybe you've experienced something very similar in your family, in your own personal life, in your place of work. Let us stop seeking God half-heartedly. And let us seek Him with our whole heart. Let this kick off a week of focusing on what it looks like to open our Bible and really be present. To pray to the Lord and really mean it. Let's do that right now. Will you pray with me? God, you're so good. You've been putting up with us for thousands and thousands of years. Even though our sin banished us from your presence in the garden, you've still made a way for us. You've still been merciful. Your mercy is more. And even this very morning, if those listening to the sound of my voice of all of us together have been following you half-heartedly and serving two masters and listening to the wrong voices, you still have more mercy. And even right now, if we would seek you with all of our heart, we'll find you. If we would draw near to you, you will draw near to us. If we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, everything else will fall into place. God, would you help us to do that this morning? Not to love you with a divided heart, but to love you with all our heart. To truly identify as exiles in a foreign land. Help us to be ambassadors of peace in the midst of the chaos of this world. That we might draw people to you, to your presence. 
to your forgiveness, to your salvation. Lord, your promise in Jeremiah 29, 13 applies especially to those who do not yet know you, who do not yet follow you. This morning, Lord, if there's anyone here, anyone watching online that that's never surrendered their life to you, would you move upon their heart and draw them unto yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit that they might seek you out right now and seek you out with all their heart and surrender their life to you to declare that you are their Lord, their Master and Savior. Father, would you move among us? Spirit, would you tug on our hearts and convict us, encourage us to make the changes we need to make to live for you wholeheartedly. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.